All right, please follow along as we uh, read our scripture in Mark today. Mark 8, 27 through 38. And Jesus went on with the disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others said, Elijah. And, uh, and, one, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, and in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of the Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, it's true, today is my birthday. In fact, you're probably wondering how old I actually am, and I'm gonna actually tell you. So, so today I turn 69 years old. Now some of you are wondering, uh, you know, that is old, and you wanna say, how old is it? I'll tell you how old it is to be 69. Last night, had some family over for dinner. My son-in-law asked me this question, were you around when Elvis Presley was in his heyday. And of course I was. So if you want an application from the sermon, go back to YouTube and kind of look for Elvis singing Return to Cinder. And it's, uh, it's a really great Elvis song if you just wanna, wanna do that. Molly is probably gonna take me to the Elvis movie tonight. So I think that'll be a great time as well, very appropriate. Well, we come to this passage in our series in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, William Lane is a person who's one of my favorite commentators on the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I don't know what you were thinking as we were reading through this passage of Scripture, but I want to share with you what William Lane says about what's going on in this passage. He says that what Mark is doing here is he's explaining that commitment to Jesus, he's talking about commitment to Jesus in circumstances that require courage and sacrifice. Commitment to Jesus in circumstances that require courage and sacrifice. When Mark wrote his gospel, the believing community, in other words, the first readers who heard these stories from the gospel of Mark were under the thumb, under the boot 
of the, of the Roman Empire, and they were, being, they were being persecuted during that time. There were a lot of temptations to leave the faith, to be ashamed of their faith. There were actually people who, not only the early followers of Jesus, that is the, uh, these disciples that were here with him, but many people were martyred during that time. And so what Mark is doing in writing this passage is he's talking about following Jesus in a messy, challenging world. And I think it applies incredibly to us. Now, none of us are having to carry a cross to our death, as this describes here. We're not following Jesus to death. And yet this passage definitely applies to us because you and I live in a, in a very, very messy world. And I know that as I look around this room, as I look in your faces, that many of you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I want to be a follower of Jesus. What's great about this passage, though, is it zeroes in on what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, and Mark here in this passage with the words of Jesus is describing what that commitment can look like. And so I think of all of us in this room as followers of Jesus, I know that there are many things pulling at you. Without knowing everything about your story, I know that there are some of you in this room who day in and day out, all of us here, we feel the, the downward pull of sin in our hearts. We feel the pull of materialism all around us. We see the pull of success. We feel the pull of wanting to be popular, the, the pull of of the, all the challenges in life, the daily stresses that we face. And I believe there are some of you here who, maybe it's happening in your life this week, maybe it will happen in the future, where you, are, you will have to ask yourself this question, you will be asking it, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it really worth it for me in this messy world where everything's crumbling around the world right now, when all sorts of Things are shifting. There's a seismic shift going on in our culture, and you and I will be challenged, and you might ask at some time, is it worth it to follow Jesus? So what happens in this story, we're gonna go through just three sections of this passage. We're gonna walk our way through it, but what's happening in this story with Jesus and his disciples is that Jesus is helping, helping open up their eyes to see things clearly. You might remember that last week we talked about the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, and we observed that it was a two-stage healing. At first, he could only see people like trees walking. It was a partial healing of his eyes, but then Jesus touched his eyes again, and it says that he said he could see all things clearly. The disciples right after this themselves began to see some things about Jesus, but Jesus began to speak to them more and more plainly. And there are three things in this passage that the followers of Jesus needed to get clear in their lives. So that's the approach this morning. I believe that if you and I are gonna follow Jesus in a messy world where, we are, where courage and sacrifice will be called for in our lives, that we're gonna have to see these three things clearly. So the first thing we need to see clearly is we need to, we need to get clear on the majesty 
of Jesus. Need to get clear on the majesty of Jesus. So I want you to look at the first several verses, verses 27 to 30, and look at what's happening here with Peter's confession. Peter gets clear on this part of who Jesus is. If you look on the stage up here, you've got the crown and you've got the cross. And so what's happening in this story is that Peter is getting clear. He has finally had his eyes open to the majesty of Jesus and he's seeing Jesus clearly as one who wears the crown as a king. So look at what he says here in verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. The same thing is true today, by the way. If we were to talk to people all around us, they would have different views about who Jesus was. So if you want to follow Jesus in a messy world, we need to be crystal clear about who Jesus is because everything else flows from that. So Jesus says to Peter, he looks at him, Jesus knows there's gonna be sacrifice and courage required. So he looks at Peter and he says these words in verse 29, he asks, and he asks him, but who do you say that I, that I am? And Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ. Now we've talked about this confession here, you are the Christ. When it uses the word Christ, one of the things we've learned from the Gospel of Mark is that it's not Jesus' last name, it is his title. The word Christ means God's only anointed king. And so to make that confession in the first century world at this time, you had to be aware that there was another rival out there, and that was the Roman emperor. So if you confess Christ as king, if you begin to see that clearly, that takes courage, that takes sacrifice to be able to see it. So we see the majesty here. We get clear on the majesty of Jesus very, very clearly in the fact that he is the Christ. He wears the crown. He is God's only anointed king. There's one other way, though, that we see the majesty of Jesus in this story. If you go on in the passage and you look at verse 31, notice, how, notice Jesus' self-designation here. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after, the, after three days rise again. Now how do we see the majesty of Jesus in the term the Son of Man? Well, it's, it's really important to see this because we see the glory of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus, in the book of Daniel, chapter seven, this is an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, and Jesus say, says, I'm that guy. And listen to what Daniel says in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He's seeing a vision here. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so this term, the Son of Man, Jesus is lifting from the Old Testament. He says, that's who I am. And we see not only that he is the Messiah, God's only anointed king, but he is the Son of Man. So here's my question. Are you clear this morning on who Jesus is. 
Is that a settled issue? In fact, let me ask it in a much more personal way. Not only is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of Man, but is he your Christ? Is Jesus your King? Have you bowed your life to him? Have you acknowledged who he really is in your life? And is he your king, meaning are you willing to obey him? Are you willing to make Jesus your king? So if we're gonna make it, if we're gonna sacrifice, have courage in a messy world, we need to be crystal clear on that. I have a good friend, a man by the name of Butch Joyce, who years ago, uh, he was a businessman, uh, he had his own engineering firm. And so back in the 1990s when I was uh, friends with Butch, and I talked to him about this story. I talked to him just this morning about it. Butch was a brand new Christian. He'd be become a Christian in the early 90s. And so he was be beginning to have his eyes open just like the disciples about, about life. And he began to believe in Jesus. He came to believe in Christ. He started this engineering firm, and during the mid-90s, his engineering firm was just blowing and going. It was growing so, so rapidly. And he wasn't prepared for that. He was an engineer. He wasn't prepared not only for all the growth, but all the personnel issues he was dealing with. He had a couple of offices, and the guy that was leading one of his offices got cancer and died. And I remember being with Butch as a young believer as a very, very successful businessman and seeing everything catch up to him and everything begin to fall apart in his life and it became stressful and it became overwhelming to him. And we were together at an event uh, here in Florida and he heard another businessman speak and that other businessman talked about the lesson the, that he had learned about letting God be in control of his business. So that night, Butch went out, on the, went out on the beach and he listened to that story and he was so at his limit, he was so stressed out. And that night, he recognized Jesus as, his, as the king, not only just of his life, not only Jesus the king, but Jesus is in control of his business. And he, and he surrendered all of that to him. And it was transformational. The first thing that began to happen in Butch's life is he began to experience the peace of God. Not because his circumstances had changed. Remember, following Jesus in the midst of challenging circumstances and sacrifices. Not that his circumstances had changed, but he had a peace because he believed that Christ was, was his king, that God was sovereign, that he was in control. And, we got, and, and, and it, it totally changed Butch's life. So what happened next is he began to get to know God better. He began to grow in his faith. And as a businessman, he became a person who would just read the Bible regularly. And that began to change his life. And so he had a hunger to get to know God better and he would read God's word and he would learn God's word. And then over time, in the midst of his success, it changed his view of success and wealth and he became a generous man. And he started thinking about how do I orchestrate my resources in a way that I could advance the, one who, the kingdom of the one who is the king. He went on even to become an elder in his church. But he looked back he can look back on moments in his life, defining moments when he recognized that Christ is king. You and I, 
you and I, whether you're, whether you're in ministry, whether you're a missionary, whether you're like me, a pastor, or you're in business, or you're a housewife, or you're a student, you need to remember that Christ is king. You need to be crystal clear on that. There's a second thing we need to be clear about, that if we're gonna follow Jesus in a messy world, we need to be clear not only that Christ is king, but also we need to be clear about the suffering of Jesus. Get clear on the suffering of Jesus. That's our next point. Now, uh, you'll notice, by the way, at verse 30, Jesus says, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, you see these sort of mysterious statements like that. It's known as the messianic secret. And what's going on in this passage is Jesus is trying to keep a lid on it so that people don't misunderstand him because once you recognize that we have a king in our midst, you're gonna start thinking, so he's the one that can smack down the Roman Empire. He's the one that can, then, that, that can fulfill whatever agenda we have for him. So Jesus is saying, calm down guys, cool it, be silent about this because I've got one more really important thing to tell you. Remember we said in Bethsaida last week it was a two-stage healing. So Peter's clear on Christ being the king, but now Christ is gonna talk about the cross and they were not clear on this. They were not clear. And you and I need to be clear about the suffering of Jesus. So look at verse 31, look at what he says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now that was beyond the scope of what Peter and the disciples were thinking. Are you saying that the, even the religious establishment, you're a rabbi, you're a scholar, even the religious establishment is going to re reject you. The Romans, the scribes are all going to reject Jesus. Verse 32, notice what it says. And he said this plainly. See what Jesus is doing? He's saying, look, if you're gonna, if you're gonna follow me in a messy world, I'm gonna speak plainly to you. You have got to be clear, not only about my identity, but about my mission and my purpose and why I came to the world. Because Jesus is coming to the world to be a certain kind of savior, to rescue us from our sins. So that verse where it says that the Son of Man, and see this was really hard for the disciples, because remember we read from Daniel 7, the Son of Man his, his dominion is gonna extend around the world. Everybody's gonna bow their knee to him. And so then this enigma, this en enigmatic statement that the son of man of Daniel 7 is now gonna suffer, that was a curveball. They were not expecting that. So, verse 32, he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The word rebuke was the same word that was used for casting out demons. I mean, Peter is standing up to Jesus and saying, no way are you gonna die. No way is this going to happen. Peter began to rebuke him because see, Peter, Peter wanted a political savior, not a suffering 
Savior. And isn't that true of us so much today? We want, we want whatever our position is, we want a smackdown of our opponent, opponents. We want to be proven right. We want, a, we want a political Jesus and we project all of this onto Jesus. That's what's happening to Peter because Peter has his own agenda. And they've been waiting for this. They've been waiting for the Messiah to come. And Peter rebukes Jesus. But this, there is so much at stake. There is so much at stake in the mission of Jesus. And we as a church and as individuals need to be clear about the mission of Jesus. That it isn't, he isn't coming to be a political savior. He's not coming to be a popular savior where we're going to have all this popularity and he's not going to be our prosperity savior where he's going to make us rich and and wealthy and happy all the time he came to be a suffering savior that's what he's saying peter wants to rebuke him but look at verse 33 but turning and seeing his disciples he rebuked Peter. He pushed back on Peter because there is so much at stake. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This was so important that Jesus understood that the thinking of Peter was straight from the pit. The devil is always there at the temptation of Jesus. There's this cosmic conflict. He wants to, op he wants to oppose the very thing that is that why Jesus came to earth to rescue and to save you and me, and he did it through the cross. It is a suffering savior, not only the crown, not only the cross, a two-stage healing, seeing it clearly, seeing who Jesus is, but also why he came. Now you might say, well, why the cross? We sang about the cross this morning. If you come to Lake Baldwin Church, you will hear us talk about the cross. The Apostle Paul, it's interesting, said that in his preaching, he determined to know nothing among the people at Corinth except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We do not have, Christianity does not have a message that is a message that can change the world and change lives apart from the cross and the resurrection. So I want to be crystal clear on this. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why is that central to the mission of our church? I want you to imagine me that one day there's gonna be this, this sort of heavenly courtroom, a heavenly courtroom. It is a court of justice. It is a court, a court that represents the very purity and the holiness of God. God created mankind, God created the world, but we rebelled against him. We have chosen to go our own way. And the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. In other words, the penalty for sin is death. Isaiah 59 says, your sins have made a separation between you and God. So all of humanity comes into this heavenly courtroom and God the Father is there as judge and he looks out at us and the book of Romans says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That is how urgent the situation is. But what God does is he doesn't leave it there. He created us. He doesn't compromise his justice. But as the judge of the universe, God takes off his judge's robes and he comes down in front of the judge's stand and he identified with us. And that is what Jesus did. 
God became a man in Jesus Christ so that he could identify with us, identify with our sins, and that Jesus could say, I will take upon myself, I will bear the legal punishment for the sins of mankind on myself. In Mark 10, 45, you need to think about these words throughout the book of Mark because this is not a game. It says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, a ransom for many. So on the cross, he was paying for our sins so that you and I could be forgiven, you and I could be set free, justice would be satisfied, and that's why Jesus had to rebuke Peter back. There's nothing that will stop Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus says here the Son of Man must suffer. He's not a victim of the religious leaders. He's not a victim of the Roman Empire. He must suffer because this was prophesied in Isaiah 53. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It is the plan of God and nobody, Peter, the devil, nobody gets in the way of the plan of God because Jesus is going to fulfill his mission. So you and I need to be crystal clear that if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to know that we're following not a political savior, not a prosperity savior, not a popular savior, but a suffering savior. And I wonder, I wonder if you can look at the crown and say that Jesus is the Christ, he's my king, but you can also look at the cross and see in your heart the beauty of Jesus, that you can see his love for you, you can see that on the cross he thought of you, he gave himself for you, so that anyone through simple faith in Christ can be forgiven for their sins and have the very righteousness of Christ with the law of God totally satisfied. So the king of the universe, the God who created the world, upholds justice but also upholds his love for mankind, for all who put their faith in Christ. So that's the, those are two things we need to be clear about. We need to be clear about who Jesus is, about the crown, that he's the king. We also need to be clear about his mission. We need to be clear about the cross. And that leads us to the final part of this message. And this is the part that you've been waiting for. This is the part that you've been saying, Mike, what does it really mean in this passage to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. So let's take a look at it right now. Look at verse 34. This is the third thing we need to be clear about is we need to be, we need to be clear about the call of Jesus. Not just the person of Jesus, not just his work, but the call of Jesus on our lives. Let's all of us, all of us in this room be really clear about the call of Jesus. So verse 34, calling the crowd to him, with his disciples, he said to them. Now, it's an interesting kind of a turn in audience here because at first it was just Peter and the disciples, but now Jesus says, okay, everybody out there, all you people at Lake Baldwin Church, let's just gather around. I wanna be really clear about what my call is to you because you're gonna follow Jesus in a messy world it's gonna require courage, it's gonna require sacrifice. You, you people in the Roman Empire, you're in the thick of it. You people at Lake Baldwin Church, you're in the thick of it. You're being pulled in lots of directions. And so calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him do these three things. Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. Now, isn't that interesting? That the very son of, son of man who's gonna suffer and go to the cross 
says that that to follow him means we will carry our own cross. And the call is to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now I want to talk just for a few minutes about my, my understanding of what this verse means because I think it will, it will change your life. In fact, I'm going to ask all of you today to really take a step of sacrifice after this sermon. I want, you to, I want you to look at your life, I want you to look at this verse as a mirror and think, Lord, what is the next step for me? Because this is a challenge, this is a call, this is for the crowd, this is for everybody. What does it mean? Well, the first thing I feel like I need to say as a pastor is that this verse has been misused so many times over the years. It is easy to twist this verse. Years ago, Molly and I listened to a, a talk by Lynn Hybels called, I Died to Self and Myself Almost Died. It's very tempting in religious circles to go around saying, everybody just deny yourself, take up your cross, and you need to deny or you need to die to everything that you want. And that can be twisted and that can be misused. I'll give you a good example in our church. We believe that people in our church, as they get involved and they partner as part of this community, that one of the things we all do for one another is we take vows to support the worship and work of the church. And so a lot of you know that we have an extensive volunteer culture. We've got people who willingly volunteer to serve and splash or work with youth or to do setup or to welcome greet people or do all these different things. And, but what can happen is you can just say to people, just deny yourself and serve every week. Well, we put in a boundary there where we say no, for the most part, we want people to serve once a month. The reason for that is we don't want to burn people out. We want to care for people. We want them to do it willingly. In fact, we always tell people in our membership class, you can say no. You say, this is not the season for me because we believe that a positive no leads to a powerful yes. And so we don't want to misuse a verse like this and say, just, just sort of give up everything in your life and do this one thing we've told you to do. It can be misused. So there are several things as I look at this passage, when it says deny yourself, I wanna share with you a few things you do not have to deny. For example, when Molly and I were young Christians and we, our pastor made this comment to us, he says, you do not need to deny your humanness. God created you as a human being, so you don't need to deny your emotions. You don't need to deny your opinions. You don't need to deny the personality that God gave you and the gifts that God gave you, you don't even need to deny your Enneagram. Isn't that good news? Now, with your Enneagram though, what you'll find is, for those of you that are into that, I realize not everybody is, but you learn, wow, there's an underbelly to my personality and so God might call us to grow in specific ways so that we're not jerks in the use of our Enneagram. God might want to, we don't need to give up our jobs, for example, but God might, like Butch Joyce, transform our view of work, transform our stewardship and our hearts. We don't need to give up our gifts, but God might ask you to deploy your gifts in the service of others. You see that? You don't need to deny who you are as a human being. We don't even ask you to deny the family that God has given you because the rest of the New Testament talks about 
husbands and wives loving each other, talks a lot about caring for our children, talks about our families. So you have to take a text, text like this verse in Mark chapter eight and keep it in perspective and say there's some things we don't need to deny, but what do we need to deny? Let me go through several things. I think a real helpful way to think about this, these words of Jesus is to look at how the Apostle Paul applied these words in, the, in his letters in the New Testament. For example, in, in Romans chapter six, the Apostle Paul says that we need to consider ourselves to be dead to sin. Remember I said at the beginning of the service that some of us are being pulled by sin? You know, I feel in my heart a battle with sin and God has called me to die to my sin, to my lust, to my anger, to my need to control these sins that are still in my life, the inner corruption. So one of the things God says to you and to me, you're gonna be tempted by sin. Sometimes you're gonna fail and we're gonna to need to come to God to ask for forgiveness, but he wants us to fight it. He wants to deny our sin, wants us to deny our sin. God might also, let's go to another part. God wants you to deny the sort of the um, conformity to the world around us. We live in a very materialistic world. We live in a world where popularity is everything, where we're competing on social media. And God wants us to deny our materialism. First Timothy 6 says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So the Bible exposes greed in our hearts. It exposes materialism in our hearts. And so you and I know how much the love of money can pull at us and, and, and take out its, its, its power over us. And he wants us to fight that. He wants us to deny that and to die to that sin. And then there's a, I'll give you another example that Paul uses. This is from Ephesians chapter five, where he talks about family relationships. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So as I think about my marriage, in all the years that Molly and I have been married, there have been so many times where I have had to die to myself in order to love Molly because the Bible commands me to die to myself, to love her as Christ loved the church. The Bible has commanded me when I, as a dad to say, do not exasperate your children. Why does the Bible say that? Because I want to exasperate my children. But God says not to do that. He puts these boundaries in. He wants us to deny those things and take up our cross and to follow him. I have a daughter who is a mother of two just active little girls. And my, my daughter, Amy, is always wiped out as a mother. There are always challenges. They're always pulling at her. But, the, but God has called her as a mom. And all of you moms in this room, you know what that's like. Day after day, you deny yourself. And so sacrifice, courage, denial. Whenever you step into ministry, whenever you step into serve, whenever you step into give, there's an element of self-denial. So we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him. So Paul said he took up his cross. He said, I die daily. This taking up our cross here is a reminder that in, 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 in the ancient world, people condemned criminals carried the crossbars of their cross to their execution. So we have this picture here that the Christian life involves that kind of sacrifice and that kind of suffering. And you and I go through life and we carry our cross. And it's not just being 
tired or denying, you know, denying social media or Netflix or candy or anything like that, but real sacrifices in our hearts for all the reasons that God's word talks about. Now, why would we do this? Well, I'll close with this thought for you. We do it willingly. We do it willingly. There's a couple of quotes in your bulletin that I want to share with you about the nature of this sacrifice because this is not compelled by some controlling church. This is compelled by the beauty of Jesus. Listen to what John Newton said about following Jesus. He said, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. Our pleasure and our duty are joined to part no more. And then William Cowper, he talks about how when we see the work of Christ on the cross, he says, to see the law of Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. You see, that's what happened to my friend Butch Joyce. Duty was changed into choice. He gave God control of his life. And it's worth it to do it. And so it's, it's a very uh, it's something that we do willingly, but it's also something we do wisely. So look at what it says in verse 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. There is a calculation here. There is a cost-benefit analysis, and he's saying here, you give up your life now, there's going to be resurrection. You're going to experience life all the way to the glory with the Son of Man when he returns. It reminds me of how Danny and Kim Anderson for many, many years, something like four or five years, led a mission trip to uh, the Dominican Republic and brought people from our church. And Danny used to say, he's in the insurance business, he would say, the time that we go is always the best part of my insurance sales. It's when I get the most business. But he had to deny that and trust God and let go of that and obey God in that situation and trust God to provide for him. So it is not only a willing choice, it is a wise choice. So this morning, as you think about this passage, I'd like to encourage you, this is very countercultural. It is following Jesus in a messy world and you might be facing a situation right now that requires either courage or sacrifice and you're seeing this passage. And I wanna encourage you this morning to, 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 to talk to someone about that, to get clear about a step that you should take because it is worth it to take that step. It is so worth it to follow Jesus in this way. But I want you to have a specific application to your life that I'm gonna sacrifice in this way because God is leading me to do it. I'm gonna do it willingly and I'm gonna do it wisely. I'm gonna to respond to God's call and I'm gonna watch God to, to provide. And I wanna say that you will not be alone in doing that because God has promised you the power of his Holy Spirit. You won't do it perfectly, it'll be a challenge. You will fall on your face, but you will, you will pick it back up, you'll confess your sins and you'll continue to follow Jesus. He gives us the power to do that. I wanna close with one quote. We're about to sing a song that I think is a very, very, very powerful song that I would like to ask you to sing this song as your own prayer. I wanna ask you to think about the words, but here are some words that you're gonna sing in a moment. Think what's, it's called Jesus on my cross have taken, and you're gonna sing these words 
Think what spirit dwells within thee. In other words, think about the Holy Spirit in you, giving you the power to take that step. Think what father's smiles are thine. You don't do this because you have a, 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 a God of judgment, but think what father's smiles are yours. God smiles on you because of the gospel and what Jesus has done for you. And then think that Jesus died to win thee. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what, what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee, to win your heart. Child of heaven, canst thou repine or complain about this suffering? Would you pray with me? Lord, indeed, there might be some of us in this room for whom you were calling to take a small step of sacrifice. Lord, I pray for our hearts that that step to take up our cross, to follow you would be done willingly and wisely, that we can trust you. Lord, for some of us, some of us in this room, it might be a very difficult step. Would you give us the faith? Would you give us the grace to take up our cross and follow you? It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.